Welcome to the Apostolic Keynote Podcast from Kingdom Faith Church. This message is by Colin Urquhart. things about being a preacher is you come into a meeting full of the word, full of revelation, and nobody else seems to be in the same place. And you think, come on! Well, I trust that by the end of the message, you'll be in the same place. Sometimes you find a little gem in scripture. Almost lost in the truths that surround it. Something that you've read perhaps countless times, but never really seen the full impact of what is being said. And that's one of the great things about the word of God that It doesn't matter how many times you read it, there's always fresh revelation. God always has something new, something more to reveal and to say to you through it. And this happened to me a few days ago when I was writing, uh, not writing, but reading James' letter. I didn't write it. (laughs) I did translate it, but I didn't write it. And this phrase just hit me. And I mean, I have translated it, so it's not that I was ignorant of it. And it's in chapter one of James. And in verse five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Now, that's something I know well, I'm sure you know well. We need wisdom. And whenever we need wisdom, we ask for it and God gives it. But it's the following phrase, which obviously applies not only to wisdom, but to all the gifts of God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault. That just hit me because it reveals the heart of God's mercy and grace. And it helps people, if you understand what the scripture is saying, to really approach God with faith, to pray with faith, to pray with expectation. One of the things the enemy always wants to do is for us to focus on ourselves instead of on Jesus. And when we focus on ourselves, we can easily focus on our faults. We can easily be aware of the things in our lives that are not like Jesus, that don't glorify him. Even though the vast majority of what goes on in our lives may be pleasing to God, maybe lived in obedience to the Holy Spirit, the enemy always wants to try to focus on the little part, the small percentage, that is not yet reflecting the holiness and the perfection of Jesus. And then he comes with his accusations to try to make us feel condemned because of that lack, because of that failure. Now, we learn to take the shield of faith against all the fiery darts of the enemy, so we're not listening to any of that because we are totally accepted in the beloved in Christ Jesus. But this phrase takes us beyond all that. God gives without finding fault. And... As I was reflecting on this, or as the Holy Spirit was really talking to me through it, he was saying that if God didn't act like that, he would never give anything to anybody. 
because he always knows about our faults. He always knows about our failures and our imperfections. He knows about the areas of disobedience. He knows the things in our lives that do not yet glorify him. So if he only gave when we had no faults, he wouldn't give anything to anyone. So this speaks to us of the nature of God's mercy and grace. That even though he knows our faults, he gives generously. And this teaches us, well, don't focus on your faults. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on Jesus. Because we know that through the blood that he's shed for us on the cross, our faults are forgiven. We have that first minute. I trust you use the first minute every day just to remind yourself you stand before God this morning made holy, made perfect, made blameless, made sinless in his sight because you washed with the blood of the Lamb. So actually that blood covers all the faults. So what we're talking about now is the faith that God wants to see in our lives, faith in his mercy and in his grace. Later on in this letter, James comes back to the whole business of wisdom and he says in chapter 3, verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Now we'll come back to that in a moment. If we go back to the first chapter... If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. So this wisdom, which is all those things that Paul describes later, is given to all those who ask him. But then in the next verse, James says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Now, what God wants to talk to us about this morning is the life that you live. What concerns the Lord is that he is able to give without finding fault because he's concerned about our lifestyle so that we bear fruit for his glory. Now there's three stages that make this effective. First of all, We've got to know the truth. The Holy Spirit brings us revelation. He's bringing us revelation at this moment concerning how God gives without finding fault. Why? Because he wants to reproduce himself in us. And the only way that he can transform us more into his likeness is by constantly giving himself to us. So we have to know the truth about God, the truth about his will, the truth about his purpose, the truth about ourselves. We call that revelation. But you've heard me say many times 
Revelation does not produce fruit. You can receive all the revelation that you need and you still have not been fruitful. You simply know something of the truth about God, about yourself, about his purpose. Then, secondly, you believe you possess what he has given you, what he says in his word, what he reveals in the truth is yours. You believe what you perfect. So this, of course, is faith. So revelation has to give birth to faith. So I was reminding students yesterday, Peter says, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, sorry, uh, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So Peter says, this is revelation of the truth, that God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, you can read that and know that's what the word of God says. But that knowledge, that revelation has to give birth to faith. You believe, right, I believe I possess everything I need for life and godliness. If you don't, if you don't respond to the word with faith, then you're responding to the word like an unbeliever. Right? Unbelievers can read the Bible, but they don't receive anything because they don't believe what is written. So once we have received the revelation of the truth, we believe that we possess what the Word of God says we possess. So if I'm a person of faith, I believe God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. So I dare not speak about myself as if I don't have what he says I have because that would be a denial of the revelation. It would be saying, I know better than God. God says in his word, I have everything I need, but I disagree, I don't have everything I need. So either God is right or I'm right, but both can't be right if you contradict him. Then Paul says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's revelation. It's the truth. So I have to believe, if I believe the truth, I possess every spiritual blessing. Not I will, but I already possess because he has already given it to me. I already possess every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. If I don't believe that, I'm guilty of unbelief. And what James says is when you pray and when you ask, God gives without finding fault, but you must believe when you ask. So I have to believe that I do have what God says I have, that he has given me what he says he has given me. Do we have any believers in the room? Okay. But then just believing that has not done anything. And this is where James talks about faith without works is dead. And he's not contradicting Paul. He's not, he's not preaching another gospel. Paul talks about being justified by faith. Uh, James believes that. But he says that if we have been justified by faith, then there will be the works that demonstrate that we have been justified by faith. So we know the truth, we believe the truth, but what concerns God above all is that we live the truth. We live the word. 
So this is the lifestyle of the kingdom that God calls us to live. And when we live like that, we produce the fruit that glorifies God. And this is what his whole focus, his whole purpose is in our lives. He wants to be glorified. Remember my testimony when I came to the Lord as a, as a young boy. I had been asking the question, why did God create me? Sort of question that a nine or ten-year-old would ask. And nobody could tell me because I didn't come from a Christian home. My parents weren't believers. None of their friends could answer my question, why did God make me? In fact, I think they were always very embarrassed when I asked the question. So I went to God himself. And what God did over a period of time, I'm not going into all the details, but he actually revealed his glory. I didn't understand, of course, that that's what was happening, but it was just so wonderful, it kept me praying day, night after night after night, often falling asleep on my knees, just waiting for the next revelation of his glory. What I realized, you see, later, was God was answering my question, not with words. Why did God make me for his glory? Why did God make you for his glory? Why did God call you for his glory? Why did God choose you for his glory? Why did you become a child of God for his glory? What is God asking you to do with your life, to live for his glory? So he is transforming us into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. And this he does by the Holy Spirit. So this whole process of knowing, believing, and living is so that we bear the fruit for his glory. Now, that means that our lives have a particular lifestyle. And God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's put the Holy Spirit within you so that you can live that lifestyle. Now, we've seen that Peter said that... Uh, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Paul says that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father and all that belongs to the Son, the Holy Spirit makes known to you. In other words, the Holy and, and to make known is not just to make known in revelation, but to be made known in experience. So the Holy Spirit lives within you so that everything that belongs to the Father and everything that belongs to the Son may be experienced in your life, may be reflected in your life, may be actually expressed in your life. That we will walk as Jesus did, that in this world we will be as he is which again is the scripture. The scripture doesn't say that in this world we should be as he is, but we are as he is. So <clears throat> the Holy Spirit, as you know, is not a power, but a person. The person of God living within us. He is the other counselor that Jesus promised who is exactly like him. So this lifestyle, this living the word that produces the fruit, is always an expression of the life of the Holy Spirit within us. So let's just uh, take one or two things. He is the spirit of wisdom. He is the spirit of faith. He is the spirit of love. He is the spirit of power. 
He is the spirit of holiness. He is the spirit of peace. He is the spirit of joy. He is the spirit of righteousness. And so on and so on and so on. Now, wisdom is therefore to be a way of life. It's not just that you possess wisdom. Wisdom is to become your way of operating. And whenever you lack wisdom, you ask for it. And God gives without finding fault. So long as when you ask, you believe that God will indeed give you that wisdom. Faith is not something you possess. Faith is a way of life. So, of course, you receive faith from hearing the word. That enables you to possess faith that will then be expressed in the way of life. So you live by faith. So if you live by faith, you don't live by contradiction to faith. If you live by wisdom, you don't live by foolishness. Sin in scripture is foolishness. Amen? So we don't want to be foolish, we want to be wise. Wisdom is a way of life. Love, faith is a way of life. Love is a way of life. God even wants his power to be a way of life. It's not simply that we know about his power or we believe that through his spirit we possess the power because Jesus said you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, but we live that power. And that power is being lived in us and is being expressed through us. Holiness is a way of life. It isn't simply that we know that God wants to, uh, God is holy and he wants us to be holy, or that he has sanctified us and we possess that his holiness. He wants that holiness to be the way of life, our lifestyle. The same with peace with joy, with righteousness, with any other aspect of the Holy Spirit that you can think of. So the Holy Spirit isn't something you possess. He is someone who lives in you to express the fullness of God's life. And what the scripture says is you have come to that fullness of life. Not you will come, not that it's gradually being imparted to you, but you have already come to that fullness of life. So the challenge for all of us is not simply, well, what do you know? Or what do you believe? But what are you living? Why? Because at the day of judgment, God will not judge any of us by the revelation that we have or by the faith that we have, but by the fruit we produced. Which is why Jesus says that every man will be rewarded according to what he has done. Not according to what he knows, not according to what he believes, but according to what he has done. So this is why James is so insistent in this epistle that faith will always give birth to works. And that if someone says they have faith, but not works, the only kind of faith they have is dead faith. Because dead faith doesn't produce anything. But a living faith produces fruit. So <clears throat> it's not a question of examining ourselves and saying, oh, is there any foolishness? Is there any unbelief? Do I lack love? 
do I not always walk in the power of God or his holiness or boom, 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 boom? Because every time you ask those questions, you come up with the same answer. Oh, yes, there are ways in which I'm not wise. Oh, yes, there are times when I don't really believe and trust God. Oh, yes, I have failed in love too many times to remember. And, and so on and so on and so on. You always come up with the same answer. So why do the same thing? Because it doesn't produce any fruit. This is why the scripture says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on the one who is wisdom, on the one who is our faith, on the one who is our love, on the one who is the power and the holiness and so on. The more we fix our eyes upon him, the more his life will be reproduced in us. Amen? And you see, the amazing thing about the mercy and the grace of God is that he knows all about our failings and our failures, but he does not judge us. Jesus said, you know, the time of judgment hasn't come. The, t the time of judgment will be at the end of time. But God does not judge us now. He says, I didn't come to judge, I came to save. So he saved us from the judgment that we deserve. And by looking at ourselves and all our failures, we can see what we deserve. But it doesn't accomplish anything. This is why the scripture tells us not to keep examining ourselves but rather to fix our eyes on Jesus. There, there are so many people that think it's spiritual to keep examining yourself. Well, that's just about the most unspiritual thing you can do. Because what you're doing is focusing on the natural instead of focusing on the spiritual. Amen? I fail in the natural in all kinds of ways, but what matters is that I am totally accepted in the beloved. Totally accepted, totally forgiven. Amen? Made holy, made blameless, made righteous, made spotless in his sight through the blood. The blood covers all my imperfections and all my failures. So why focus on them when I can avail myself of the blood in 30 seconds? You know, some, some Christians think that if they've got problems, they just need people that they can offload their problems. They just want to talk about their problems, their problems, their problems, their problems. Let me tell you, the more you talk about your problems, the bigger they become. Because you're doing the very thing that is totally the opposite of what you need to do. You see, if you're a person of faith, you're talking about the answer, not the problem. You know, I've said to you before, some people come to me at the end of meetings and say, I have a problem. I say, you sure have. And they say, what do you mean? I say, well, if you say you've got a problem, you've got a problem. <laughs> and your problem is that you've got a problem. That's what you believe. That's your faith. You see, they've just declared their faith. I have a problem. That is their faith. What are they living in? They're living in their faith that they have a problem. But I might have a problem, but I'm not going to talk about the problem. You see, as you know, I've just gone through a surgical experience, which I don't want to repeat. But, uh, but for months before that, often when I was here talking to you and boom, boom, I was in agony. None of you knew I was in agony because I didn't talk about it. Why? Talking about the problem would only have made the problem worse. Can you understand? God is always, has always the answer to our situation, no matter what it is. Hallelujah. But talking endlessly about our problems you, you know, do, does that mean that we should never... No, you're allowed to talk about your problem once, preferably to the Lord. <laughs> Sometimes to the Lord in the presence of someone else who may be able to help you, but you never repeat what you've already 
said. Why? Because the first time you said it, it was dealt with. If you brought it to the cross, then it was dealt with first time. Of course, if you don't believe that, then, you see, if, if you don't believe, then you can't live it. This is a process that goes on in your life without you analyzing it. I mean, this is just analyzing what is happening in your life. But you see, this, this, this is happening all the time. Revelation, faith, fruitfulness. If there's no revelation, there won't be faith. If there's no faith, there won't be fruit. See, I have a problem. What's the fruit of that? Well, the fruit is a problem. See, I have an answer. What is the, what is the fruit of that? Well, I have an answer. However, God chooses to answer us. There are a variety of ways. So, this is the lifestyle of the kingdom. Now, there's no time for us to read through the whole letter to James, but I commend you to do that. It's, uh, th that's why, you know, get, use the truth version. The truth version is absolutely, it's aimed at read the whole book in one go. It's not to analyze it verse by verse but to get the whole picture. I explained that to you the other day, I think. And you see, what James is doing in this letter is contrasting the life of the world with the life that we have in the kingdom. So, he says that we are not to love the world. That the one who loves the world hates God. Hmm. That the one who does what the world does is an enemy of God. These are the phrases that James uses. Now, we love the people that belong to the world because we want to see them saved. But we don't love the world because the scripture says the world is under the power of the evil one. And what James is concerned about is this is one of the earliest letters, perhaps the very earliest of all the letters in the New Testament. What was concerning these, these early church leaders was how the Christian community lived the life of the kingdom in the world, showing that the life of the kingdom is a total contrast to the way the world lives. What God has to, to do in our lives in enabling us to actually express the life of the kingdom is to get the world out of us. That we're brought up with worldly thinking. We live in a world where we're surrounded by worldly thinking. You, you listen to the news, the television, it's worldly thinking. You watch a film, it's worldly thinking. Whatever, whatever is going on out there is worldly thinking because it's all under the influence of the spirit of this world. But you see, we are under the influence of the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is in total contrast so, to the spirit of the world. So what you see in Jesus, in his ministry, is someone who is living perfectly in the kingdom of God while he is in the world. So when you look at the ministry of Jesus as it's revealed in the Gospels, 
You can't see any worldliness in his attitudes, in his words, in his actions. He's focused totally on the kingdom. Now the religious people, by contrast, Pharisees and Sadducees, Herodians and so on, they were very worldly. They thought they were very spiritual. But what mattered to them is that they were acclaimed by people in the world, that they had the best positions in the world. They were terrified of losing their position Uh, by the Romans, by the Roman authorities, which was one of the reasons why, of course, they persecuted Jesus. And why they dared to say at the trial of Jesus, we have no king but Caesar. That was a total anathema for a Jew to say such a thing. Because Jews believe we have no king but God. But we are not going to change the world by being like the world. And revival, there's nothing mystical about revival. In revival, this happens. People simply live what they believe. They live it more fully. The Holy Spirit enables them to live the word more fully. So he's also the spirit of prayer, so there's more prayer, there's more faith, there's, there, there's more love, the, the holiness of God is upon his people, there's more joy, righteousness. Just everything goes up to another level. Now God has, has been doing a work and is still doing a work amongst us that increases the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fire. It was talking about at the beginning of term. Stirring up this gift of the Holy Spirit within us. But now we see why this is so essential. It's not that stirring up the gift so that we can just have a better time of praise. It's not simply stirring up the gift when we're in uh, an encounter meeting. It's stirring up the gift within you all day, every day. So that what you're learning to do is to live by the gift of God within you. So our decisions, our decisions of wisdom, our decisions of faith, our decisions of love, our attitudes towards God, towards others, towards his purpose for our lives, attitudes are full of wisdom, full of faith, full of love. In other words, we become truly a people of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Now, listen to the enemy, and he will say to you, <clears throat> you don't live that life. If you compare yourself with Jesus, you don't live that life. The Holy Spirit says you do live that life. You don't yet live it perfectly. You could live it more fully. But don't deny what God has already worked in you. You do live that life. And what God wants is a determination in every one of us to live that life more fully. Now, it may be that <coughs> you are aware of an area of particular weakness, an area where you struggle in your response to God, an area where perhaps you feel you fail again and again. But that does not undermine all the good things 
that the Holy Spirit is doing in you. What that sense of failure can do if we know how to treat it properly is to cause us to depend more fully upon the Spirit. Not just in that area, but in every area of our lives. I can't specify what that area is because you see it'll be different in different ones of us. But instead of focusing on the area of failure, we focus on the Spirit. We focus on the truth. We focus on what we know. We believe in what we know so that then we live what we believe. Hallelujah. So we bless the Lord. We praise the Lord. We glorify the Lord for all that he has already worked in us and all he's going to do with us. James says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So, goodbye to worldliness. Amen. And Lord, enable me by your mercy and grace through the power of your blood and your spirit to live the life to which you've called me. To live in the fullness of life that is your gift to me in Christ Jesus. And all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise will go to you, Lord, because there's no way that I can do through my natural ability anything to enable me to live the word. It has to be dependence upon your spirit. It has to be the work of your spirit within me. So, Lord, I depend completely on you. I'm not focusing on the problem, the need, on what is lacking. I'm focusing on the truth, on the revelation of who you are, who you say I am, of all that you have done for me, all that you have given me. I believe that I possess everything that you tell me I possess. Hallelujah. And by your mercy and grace, I will live your word for your glory and bear much fruit. And just finally, when you read this letter of James, you will find that he talks about harvest. That what he actually says, you see, harvest is not going to drop out of the sky. We will be a people of harvest. And what, if, if I can sort of paraphrase what um, James is saying, he, he, he says this, those who live the word, not just know and believe, but live the world, produce a harvest of righteousness. They produce a harvest. Why is there so much fruit in times of revival? Because, as I said earlier, in times of revival, God's people are living the word more fully. So you see more wisdom, more faith, more love, more power, more holiness, more peace, more joy. 
and they produce a harvest of righteousness. So we're going to be harvesters, right? We're not just sitting back. Oh, Lord, let your spirit come and move and produce a harvest. God says, I'm doing in you what will produce a harvest of righteousness. I'm making you the kingdom people that will impact the world around you. But don't love the world. Love the lifestyle that I've called you to live. Love God, love his purpose. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Come into the middle here. Simple message that has profound consequences. Amen? So let's start with thanking the Lord. Just thank the Lord. For what you know, oh, come on, and what you possess. We'll come to the living bit in a moment, but first of all, thank him for what you know, for the revelation of the truth that he's given you. him that you possess all that he says you possess. It's not a matter of feeling. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank him for his mercy, his grace. Hallelujah. Now thank the Lord that he gives generously to all, to all, that must include you, right? He gives generously to all without finding fault. Hallelujah. Thank him that that's true for you. That he's so often given to you. He's so often blessed you. He's so often graced you. Lavished his grace upon you without finding fault. That's his mercy. That's his grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Wonderful, wonderful Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Kurala basoturi sandaria leto golazota palandama. James says in the word that God wants you to be complete, not lacking anything. Hallelujah. Thank him that that's his will for you. That in Christ you are made complete, whole, perfect in Christ. That you do not lack any spiritual gift, Paul says. Because he's lavished his grace upon you. Come on, I, I think we can be more thankful than this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Kuraria leto golosotari sandaria leto golosotari santo.
Basta calaria leso coloto tapalaria letto colosoto di sandama. Balaria letto colosoto di sandaria lenomasoto di sandama. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now thank him that you are living the life of the kingdom. You no longer live as the world lives. You are living the life of the kingdom. In so many ways, you already are living the life of the kingdom. You're living a life of wisdom, a life of faith, a life of love, a life of power, a life in the holiness of God, a life of peace, joy, and so on. Thank him that you are living the life of the kingdom. You have a different lifestyle from the life of the world. Come on, this is the truth. This is how the grace of God has transformed you already. That your values are no longer the values of the world. Your desires are no longer the desires of the world. Your motivation is no longer the same motivation as those who belong to the world. Your motivation is to live for the glory and the praise of God. Your motivation is to fulfill the plan and purpose of God that has for your life. Come on, this is kingdom living. You are living the life of the kingdom. Now, if you're conscious of any ways in which you fail to live the life of the kingdom, well, you just ask God to forgive you. But pray now. You see, this is what James is saying. Pray, but when you pray, you must believe in your heart. Pray that the Holy Spirit will work in you whatever he needs to work in you so that that area of weakness, failure, whatever it is, is replaced by the life of the kingdom that he enables you. Come, It's just a question of greater dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So just ask now the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, just come into every area of my life. In those areas where in the past has been weakness and failure. Whatever it may be, whatever it may be. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the life of your spirit within me. Thank you that you work it within me. Thank you that as I depend upon you, you will not fail me. You will not forsake me. You will not leave me, but you will enable me. Hallelujah. Tell the Lord you want to be fruitful for his glory. That's not producing the fruit you want to produce, but producing the fruit he wants to produce in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Now pray with the eyes of faith and say, Lord, I thank you for abundant fruitfulness in my life. For increased fruitfulness. Just like Jesus spoke of in John 15. More fruitfulness. Fruit that will last. Increased fruitfulness. God prunes out, you see, the things that are not of his kingdom that we might be more fruitful still. So even the fruitful people, he prunes that they may be more fruitful still. So prune out, out of my life, Lord, any love of worldliness. Hallelujah, that I might be more fruitful still. Can I hear faith in this room? Is heaven taking notice of you? Because you're praying with faith and determination? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Colaria letto colosotteri, sandaria letto colosotteri, santuma. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Pororia letto colosotteri, sandaria letto colosotteri, santuma. Balaria letto colosotteri, sandaria letto colosotteri, santuma. Balaria letto colosotteri, sandaria letto colosotteri, santuma. 
Broria letto colosotto di Sandaria letto colosotto di Santoma. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Palaria letto colosotto di Sandaria letto colosotto di Santoma. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Coraria letto colosotto di Sandaria letto colosotto di Broria letto colosotto di Sandaria letto colosotto Coraria letto colosotto di Sandaria letto colosotto di Sandma. James ends the letter like this. He says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. It's bringing people back into the truth. So we're just going to pray for any who have wandered from the truth. Mm -hmm. Into deception, into worldliness. Some may have backslidden, but not all will necessarily have gone that far. <clears throat> but they're not living in the truth. Let's pray for them now. And let's say, Lord, use me to bring others back to the truth. Back into the way of truth. We want to save people from death. We want the truth to cover a multitude of sins. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you have covered the multitude of sins in our lives by your mercy, through your blood. And this is what we want to see in others, Lord, that any who have wandered from the truth, help us to bring them back to the truth. Let us be instruments of your saving grace in their lives that they may be abundantly fruitful, Lord. May we be fruitful by causing others to become fruitful. So we're not just concerned about our own fruitfulness, but we're concerned about encouraging others to be fruitful, encouraging others to glorify you. That we have impact, Lord, upon the lives of many other people. We praise you, we bless you, we exalt you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Gloria letto golosotteri sandalia letto golosotteri sandama. Palaria letto golosotteri sandalia letto golosotteri sandama. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Gloria letto golosotteri sandalia letto golosotteri sandama. Palaria letto golosotteri sandalia letto golosotteri sandama. Basta galaria letto golosotteri sandalia letto golosotteri. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we thank you for the revelation that you've given us. Thank you for the faith that you've worked in us. You're the author and perfecter of our faith. But thank you above all for the fruit that you produce in us that gives you glory. We bless and praise your wonderful name. Come on, let's thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.